If there is a God, why doesn't he show himself? Why doesn't he prove himself by doing something out of the ordinary, something no one else could do? Have you heard people say that? Have you thought it yourself? Well, the answer is, he has. Jesus was God's way of showing himself. He came and did many things out of the ordinary, many things that no one else could do. He healed the sick, he gave sight to the blind, he calmed the storm and he rose from the dead. Old people say, I can't believe that sort of thing. Miracles, they just don't happen. No one can do that. Well, isn't that rather unfair to say, why doesn't God appear and do something out of the ordinary no one can do, and then object, no one can do that, that sort of thing doesn't happen. Old people say, no, but I mean, why doesn't he appear to me now? Well, isn't that rather arrogant? To demand the God who made everything should appear to you personally, And if he did appear to everyone personally and do something out of the ordinary, well, it wouldn't any longer be out of the ordinary, would it? He'd have to do it billions of times. Then wouldn't you use that as an excuse to reject it? How much better that instead God showed himself once, and that at a point in history when ability to record it to verify those records and to spread those records was far better than it ever had been before. And those records of Jesus did get made, verified and spread despite many attempts to discredit them and to put them out of existence through persecution. So today we're hearing from part of the Bible that says the one who made this world has shown himself. It's in our Bibles known as, in that book known as John's Gospel, and chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, and it's going to appear on the screen as well. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. He was in the, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not receive him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now we need to start by getting clear who this is about. We've jumped in partway through a section in the Bible and it begins with the word he. So obviously it's already been talking about someone and it must have already told us who that someone is. Who is it? Who is this all about? Well, it's told us at the start of that chapter, the start of that section in the Bible. So let's have a look back at verse 1 of that chapter. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through him all things were made. Now, there's no getting round that this is difficult. We're starting here with some of the most difficult verses in the Bible. But would you expect God to be simple? He made the world and he made us, and and even little us. We're complex beings. So you've got to expect God to be complex. And we're told here that there's a person called the Word. And this person called the Word was with God, and he was God. 
So it sounds there like there are two people here called God. The word, who was God, and then the God that this word was with. And we move on further and we find this person called the word becomes a man called Jesus. And he's who our verses are all about. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. It's Jesus, it's this word who was God become a man. And we move further on in John and this Jesus, we find him asserting that he is God And yet we find him saying he's the son of God. And people ask me, which one is Jesus? Is he God or is he the son of God? And here this book called John says he's both. Jesus says he's both. So again we find God isn't just one person. He's the father and he's the son. And we move on further and we find he's God the spirit as well. Oh, you say, this is a bit confusing and difficult. Well, in a sense, what did you expect of the God who made everything? He's complex, and he's father, and he's son, and he's spirit. So when people say, if there's a God, why doesn't he show himself? The answer is, he has, in Jesus. But the answer is more than that. In Jesus, God has shown that he's a father. Jesus came to show God the father. He's shown God to be a father. He's shown that at the heart of who God is, is this, God is a father. What does it mean for God to be a father? Well, you can have a think about that, can't you? Because you know what a father is. What's a father? Well, it is most central, most basic. A father is someone who produces life. You become a father by producing a child. Obviously, I wasn't trying to wipe out the, the woman's part in it. But there's got to be a man as well. And you can't be a father unless you've produced a son or a daughter. You give life. And isn't that at the heart of what Jesus is saying about God? He's the one who produces life. But he's saying more than that. You see, a machine produces things, but you wouldn't call the machine a father, because a father is personal. It's not just a machine who produces things, but a person who relates. And so Jesus is showing us God is a person who relates. Not just some supercomputer in the sky, not some force that everything's come from, a person who relates. What else can we say about father? This one is not so obvious in 2019 UK, but a father is an authority figure. Do you reckon? That's the way it's supposed to be. Not so obvious. In children's programmes, the father is often a bit of a joke. You know, the children know best, the mother sort of knows a little bit less than them, and the father, is a bumbling idiot. But it's not supposed to be like that. The father is supposed to be an authority figure. And God certainly has authority. He rules. He should be obeyed. As the children were hearing, that's because he made us. You could say he fathered us. But a father is not supposed to be an authority figure like a sergeant major in the army who just barks commands at you and locks you away if you don't do them. God is a father. It means he has authority, yes, but it's also telling us he's loving and he's caring. And he's involved. Isn't the father supposed to be involved in the child's life? In the summer, my family had a meal out with my niece. 
And she told us her father, who moved off to Australia many years ago, he contacts her about once every two years. He contacted her, well, I think on her last birthday, and said, sorry, I've been really busy for the last two years. (laughs) People can say, sorry, I've been busy for the last week, but the last two years, she had no contact with him. She said, that's how he is. That's a bad father. God as father means he and his son, they are in close relationship. They know each other well. God has shown himself through Jesus and he's shown himself to be a father with all the meaning we've just seen of what a father is. Now I remember watching a debate between the famous atheist Richard Dawkins and an academic at Oxford University who's a Christian called John Lennox. And they debated philosophical ideas and they debated science and the origins of the universe and all sorts of things like that. And although it got quite heated, it it was pretty polite. They were still managing to interact until the Christian John Lennox mentioned Jesus and Jesus revealing the God who is personal. And at that point, Richard Dawkins exploded. We've been debating great ideas And now you've brought it down to this little thing, a personal God, who showed himself at a point in history, in a place in the Middle East. No, what are you doing? And Richard Dawkins exploded about it. Now he's right. Richard Dawkins is right. It is astonishing. And we need to recover something of that astonishment. But Richard Dawkins is wrong. Wrong to get mad at it. Because it's good news. God is a father. That's what Jesus came to show. But we move on next to what does Jesus require? You see, Jesus came to show us God, but not just to satisfy our curiosity. He requires a response. What is the response? Let's get back to our verses. John 1, verses 10 to 12. He, we found out that's Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, The world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 10 says, most people didn't respond rightly to Jesus. They wouldn't accept this was their maker coming to the world. No, I can't have it. That maker doesn't do things like that. Verse 11 says they didn't want him. He came to his own people and, no, they just wanted to carry on their own way. But then verse 12 says, but there were some who responded rightly. What is the response? You see it there in verse 12, don't you? The response was, they received him and they believed in his name. It's actually one response described two ways. Believe and receive. Now, this is, an in, this is in the introduction to a book called John, a book that repeatedly insists we safely belong to God if we believe Jesus. Believing in Jesus is given as what he requires, repeatedly in this Gospel of John. Here it's put as, believe in his name. Now, that sounds rather odd to us, doesn't it? Believe in his name, does it mean believe his name was Jesus? What does it mean, believe in his name? My name is Joseph, as most of you know. But you might not know, Joseph means he shall add. 
So does to believe in his name mean believe that I will spend my life doing psalms? That's just silly, isn't it? Because I don't necessarily take after my name. When my parents gave me my name, they didn't know if I'd be good at adding or subtracting or multiplying or dividing. It's just a name. But unlike for us, Jesus' name really did describe him. And what does his name mean? It means saviour. To believe in his name means to believe he's the saviour. He can rescue me from all that's wrong with me. He's the one who can mend my relationship with God. Do you know, he wasn't just called Jesus, he had many names. And just a little bit further on in this first chapter of John, we find another name. He's called the Lamb of God. That's a strange name. What does it mean? What did they do with lambs back then? They sacrificed them. Lamb of God, to believe in this name is to believe he's the one who would take our place. He would take our punishment. He would pay for all the ways that we would, that we would disobey God. And so to believe in his name is to believe these things about him. Now this book called John, it does a strange thing. Because at, at the same time as repeatedly insisting you, the way to be safe is believe in this Jesus, it also a few times describes for us people who it says did believe Jesus. And then it shows us them going wrong and ending up wrong. Was John in a muddle? Did he forget what he'd said earlier? Had he got all confused? No, he's making a point. And the point he's making is, there is a wrong sort of believing. If you read about those people in John, you find they believed Jesus' miracles. They saw them with their own eyes. They didn't think he was just a trickster. And they believed some of the truths that Jesus said. But they didn't want him. Some wanted to use him. They saw he could feed 5,000 with just a few loaves. Well, that can make us money and that can deal with our hunger. And they wanted to use him, but keep him at a distance. Others, they believed what he said, and they thought, this looks seriously like the king who was promised. But that's a threat to us, because we want to keep our own control, and they wanted to be rid of him. I think the people who most violently attacked Jesus actually did believe who he was. But they insisted, no, We won't have him because we want to be in control of our own lives. So they believed something, but they wouldn't receive him. And so here in his introduction to his book, John says, the sort of believing I'm talking about is believing that receives. See it there in verse 12. To those who received him, to those who believed in his name. It's a believing that receives. Now, this is really important for people in church. This verse is really important for people in church because you can know quite a lot about Jesus. You can even agree that it's true, but still hold Jesus at a distance. Want to keep control of life yourself. You can sit in church on a Sunday and think, yes, I know that's true. But you go away and on Monday, you just forget him because you want to do your own thing. That isn't the believing that's meant here. However much you might know about him, however much you might agree with it, that isn't the believing that is meant here. 
Because you need believing that receives Jesus, that says, Jesus, I need you, you come and take control. That's the believing you need. And the Bible has some pictures to help us get what this believing and receiving is. I'll tell you two of the pictures it has. One is this. Imagine an outlaw in the olden days. And the outlaw's been rebelling against the king. Now, when I hear outlaw, I tend to think Robin Hood. And well, you could think of him, except you've got to reverse it. Because in my case, the outlaw is bad and the king is good. And imagine this outlaw starts to realise, I am not going to win against this king. He is going to end up throwing me in prison. And the outlaw also starts to notice, actually this king cares for the people who are under his rule. So what must that outlaw do? He goes to the king and he throws himself on the king's mercy and he pleads for forgiveness. Do you see, he's believed certain things about that king, he's going to win, but I also see he's caring. But he does something about it, throws himself on the king's mercy and says, I've been an outlaw, but please, will you have mercy? Forgive. Can I come under your rule without being crushed and thrown in prison? That's believing and receiving Jesus. Believing he's king and throwing yourself on his mercy. That's one picture the Bible gives us. If if you want to know, you find it in a place called Psalm 2. Here's another picture the Bible gives us. Imagine a young woman and her heart has just missed a beat because a young man's just got down on one knee in front of her and he's asked her to marry him. And she believes his claim to love her and she believes he'd be a good husband to her. So what does she do? She says yes. And that's another picture of believing Jesus, and so, well, what is it? Committing yourself to him. The sort of believing Jesus requires isn't just sitting in church and agreeing to truths about him, it's believing and committing yourself to him. Jesus, what does Jesus show us about God? That he's a father. What does Jesus require of us? Believe and receive. But then if you do, what happens? We come on thirdly to, what does Jesus give? And let's get back to John 1, verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There we are. Clear, wasn't it? And quite simple. Jesus gives the right to become children of God. Now, would you expect it to say right? He gives a right. You might expect him to say gift or privilege, but it says right. What is a right? A right is something that is legally yours. It can't be taken away from you. So the government has given you the right to vote if you're over 18. It can't just decide one day, no, we're not going to give that to you. It's a legal right. The government has given you the right to be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. It can't just say, we don't like those people who live in Loughborough, let's consider them guilty. We have legal rights. They they have to be given by an authority. You don't just get born with them, they're given by an authority. Well, how can Jesus give the right to be a child of God to those who simply believe and receive him? Well, do you remember that picture, well I hope you do, because it was only half a minute ago, of 
receiving Jesus being like a woman getting married to a man. Receiving the man who's proposed to her. Let's have a little think about that again. Let's push it a bit further. Like this. There used to be an actress called Meghan Markle. Do you remember her? There used to be an actress called Meghan Markle, but there isn't anymore. I don't know why she still gets called Meghan Markle, because there's no such person as Meghan Markle, the actress. She is gone. On the 19th of May, 2018, she stopped being Meghan Markle, the actress, and she became the Duchess of Sussex with all the rights of a princess of the British royal family. How did that happen? Well, by becoming one with the Duke of Sussex, Prince Harry. She, on that day, became one with him and she stopped being Meghan Markle, the actress, and she became Princess Meghan, the Duchess. With all the rights that Harry has, she shares with him. Now, do you see the picture? Those who believe and receive Jesus aren't just happening to agree to some truths about a man 2,000 years ago, quite distant from them. No, they are receiving and becoming one with the Son of God. He has all the rights of being a son of the Father. And so they receive the right to be a child of God. Megan shares Harry's inheritance. Now she's one with him. And you, if you become one with Jesus, share his inheritance from God the Father. The right. The Bible puts it in strong and definite language. The right to be a child of God himself. Think of that. Now, I'm told, actually, it's difficult for some to think of that because they had a bad father. And so it's rather painful and difficult for them to think of God as father. And I expect that's true for many people. But I guess that if you had a bad father, one of the things that made it painful, not all of it, but one of the things, may be this, knowing what your father should have been like and seeing just how different he was. But God is a father exactly as a father should be. Some fathers are strong, but they crush their children. Some fathers are caring, but they're spineless and they don't discipline their children. Some have good intentions, but they don't manage to do them. Some make wonderful promises, but they're too busy to ever carry them out. Some feel love for their children, but they're no good at communicating it. Some are selfish and just walk out on their children. But God has none of those failings. He is strong and caring and loving and true and dependable and trustworthy and never walks out on his children. And that brings us back to almost where we started. Do you remember we started with, who is this person in these verses and what does he show about God? And you might have thought, why did I start with such a complicated thing, God is Father and his Son and his Spirit? Why start with the difficult bit? Well, the answer is because only such a God could be our Father. Think of Islam. Islam can't offer you this because it only offers one lonely, unknowable God that it says has been on his own forever. And so he can't relate to anyone apart from to make himself some servants to serve him. So to the Muslim, the idea of God as father is unthinkable. Hinduism can't offer you this. 
It has this idea of the ultimate reality that's so unknowable that there's got to be a chaos of millions of gods that you just know them because the ultimate reality is unknowable. No, you can't have anything there of God as a father. Only the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ can know you and love you and be a father to you in this way. And only Jesus, who gave up his rights as son and was, in a sense, put out of the family as he died on a cross, for those who were far from God can bring you near to God and into the family so that you can know God as your father. Now, all that means the Christian message is simple. Believe and receive. Even a little child can believe and receive. It's simple. But it also means there are solid depths under this. There is a reliable foundation under that simple believe and receive. So do you believe the Bible's message about Jesus the Saviour? And will you make sure you're not like those people in John's book who, yeah, they believed and it sounds good, but keep him at a distance. Instead, will you believe like the outlaw who throws himself on the king's mercy? Believe like the woman who says, yes, I do, to the man's proposal. Will you believe and receive this Jesus? Let's pray now.